Success is a broad term that carries only arbitrary meaning. In Western cultures, we often attribute it to money, fame, and power. But money without joy, peace, love, spirituality, and health doesn't equate to a great life. Often, it equates to a miserable one. Hi, I'm Alex Terranova. As a business and life performance alchemist and coach who's coached hundreds of successful people, I have learned the secret to a great life is about creating a life you love the experience of living. It's not about how much money you make, how big your company is, how many abs you can count, the boat you own, the models you've slept with, or the trips you've taken. A great, successful life feels good. It's the result of choosing your purpose and living with commitment, integrity, love, play, and faith. Each week on Playing With Problems, I will sit down with one successful person. They might be successful in money, love, leadership, health, spirituality, or maybe they're thriving in various areas. And we'll explore who they are and what they've accomplished. But every podcast does that. What makes this podcast unique is we'll also dive into and play with the current problem they're experiencing. See, there's this cultural myth that makes us believe that once people are successful, they don't have problems. We all have problems, and it takes a courageous person to share theirs. The show isn't about listening to a problem that's been solved. Our guests will bring a vulnerable issue they are currently challenged by, and we'll work and play together to get clarity, answers, new perspectives, ideas, and maybe even a solution. I invite you to experience these conversations as if they are about you. If you listen and watch through yourself, your relationships, finances, fears, challenges, successes, and problems, these conversations could change your life. Welcome to Playing With Problems. Hi, welcome back to Playing With Problems. I am your host, Alex Terranova. Ooh, I am coming off. Well, this will come out, but I'm gonna I'm gonna fill you in. I am coming off an incredible men's retreat. I I led a men's retreat uh, with nine another another man, and we had nine men uh, join us in Ashton, Idaho, forty acres of river for about three days and three nights. And I don't know if I would, could be more impressed and moved and inspired by the men that showed up. Uh, these men brought their strength, their power, their vulnerability. Um, we got to coach them. They got to coach each other. We got to, you know, really find out who we were as leaders in a, in a really, I want to say a really like show up, <laughs> show up, show up or there's going to be a problem environment. Um, and me and my partner, Bob, did this for the very first time. We'd been talking about doing this retreat. We launched it. We didn't know how. We created all the tools. And I'm sharing this because, right, this is, show is called Playing With Problems. I think one of the biggest problems that people have is they have an idea, and then they think about it, 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 and it never comes to fruition. And this was one of the coolest examples in my life. Uh, we had an idea. We took a month to basically do all the research and, and do all the thinking, but we gave ourselves like basically a month and then we hardcore got into action and we spent 90 days in action creating the actual reality and it's over now. And I'm so glad that we did it that way. I'm so glad that we took 
our own advice that we would give clients, which is to, you know, set markers like, hey, the house has to be reserved by this time. We got to get this many men. We got to create this many tools. But nothing was like we didn't give ourselves any space to get pushed back because we set the end date. And it was honestly one of the most profound experiences of my life, not just because we did it and accomplished it, but because of who these men were for themselves and each other and who they're going back to their families as. They're going back to their families as men who want to love more, spend more time with their kids, who want to spend more time with their partners, who don't want to make the same mistakes that their fathers made, um, who they're going home with like more forgiveness and open-heartedness to maybe their fathers or their parents where you know they see they could have. Um, those people were doing the best that they could. And uh, yeah, and if we, me and my partner had gotten afraid or made up reasons to slow down, this wouldn't have happened. So that's what I'm gonna leave you with today. Have an idea, get excited about it and go forward. Um, don't spend too much time analyzing, trying to figure it out. Uh, it'd be better to go forward and fail and learn a bunch of lessons and try again than never to actually do it because you're so caught up in the minutia of the thinking and the planning and all the things that go along with that. Let me introduce our guest today. She is a military officer. She's an entrepreneur and a CEO. She's an inclusion and diversity leader. She's a mentor, a professional engineer, an acquisition professional. She's a leader in change management and an inspirational leader and speaker. She's the CEO of Sonus LLC, a management professional with over 20 years of experience in the federal government. She's held numerous senior and executive level roles with the Department of Defense. She's led and trained and managed a broad spectrum of diverse teams to maximize coordination and efficiency across interdisciplinary departments uh, for clients and contractors. She's dedicated to process, process improvement from developing policy and procedures to training and leading teams with a mix of military, civilians, and contractors. And she's driven towards shifting the culture to achieve more to achieve more inclusion and a resilient world. She's developed various trainings promoting diversity and inclusion and champions, champions the dialogue so important to attaining true inclusion. Welcome to Playing With Problems. Brianna Jackson, how are you? Hi, good. Good morning or evening or afternoon. <laughs> it's early for you. We can just say it. We don't have to beat her. You know, it's, it's you're, you got up at like 5 a.m. So, so everybody is listening to you and going to see you like bright and early 5 a.m. Hawaii time. So thanks for being, <laughs> thanks for just showing up and not, uh, you know, not needing to do it perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, no worries. No worries. Um, well, let's, uh, let's dive. Is there anything you want to say around anything that I just shared or just around your background? Anything you want, anything else you want people to know about you? Um, I think the only other thing, like, so I'm also, also a mom. Um, I've got four kids. My oldest is 16. Just started his first job at the McDonald's by the high school. So that's very exciting. We, we, when we went trick-or-treating on Halloween, we stopped in and harassed him, which was wonderful. Nice. Um, Way to go. <laughs> right? Right. That's true mom fashion. Yeah. Um, he, he happened to be on his break. It was great. I got a good photo op with him. Um, the, uh, then I have a 14 year old an 11 year old and an eight year old, um, all boys. So my house is, uh, it's chaos and I don't buy expensive things because they will probably get broken. <laughs> 
I uh, I was just at my parents' house and my mom was telling my fiance, she pointed out, it was like her and her friends were there and they were looking at these like porcelain statues that my mom had. And it's some like famous, you know, thing that my mom's had probably since the 70s or the 80s. And my mom was like, oh yeah, we used to have a whole collection, but Alex and his brother destroyed them all. And they looked at, you know, these three women looked at me and they were like, why would you guys destroy and I'm like, they were taunting us. You know, we were playing football in the house and those little statues were taunting us and we had to destroy them. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was the countless military moves um, and, and things just being thrown in a box. And by the time we get to the next stop, you look at the box and it's like, oh, look, a puzzle. <laughs> like, this was not a puzzle before I left, but now it is a puzzle. And I'm not putting this puzzle back together. I love it. So- you you also I don't know if you I don't know if I missed it, but you you're also married and your husband is just recently retired from the military. So Correct. wife wife and partner, mother of four, and then all those things I listed already. Yes. That's a lot. Yes. Uh, kind of a type A personality, right? A plus plus <laughs> A plus plus. So what do you think? Let's like kind of look at, at what do you think has made you successful in this pretty like nonstop life that you have going on right now. Yeah. So I think, you know, I grew up um, with, with not a lot. Uh, my mom was a, a single mom. She was a teacher and, you know, going through kind of junior high and high school, we were in a really bad car accident. Um, it left her um, between commuting for her job uh, and just trying to deal with the pain that she was going through. It left her uh, kind of absent a lot, um, and not that that's what she would have wanted, right? But that that's just kind of what the the situation was. Um, so when I looked ahead to what my future was, you know, I, I had a a very good drive to ensure that you know I could always support my family. My family could always be um, supported. Uh, so one of the one of the factors that that kind of pushed me into the military was. You know, that I went through the, the Naval Academy, so I didn't have to pay for college necessarily, right? We paid back in time, time served. Um, so I didn't have to go into a bunch of debt, which was really nice. And I knew that I would have a job when I graduated. I was like, all right, I, I can go, I can have a job. And, you know, if I fall in love with a starving artist, I don't have to worry about my family because I'll have a job and we'll be good. Um, luckily, I met my husband uh, in, in college. And so... Uh, we didn't, we didn't quite have that situation, which was, which was wonderful. Um, but it was really just that drive to provide for my family. That was where a lot of my initial passion and inspiration um, came from. And, you know, as I've kind of gone through, uh, gone through my career, I recognize that in addition to that, you know, I feel kind of comfortable that I'm doing that well, right? So my, my focus has shifted a little bit more towards what kind of impact um, and I am I able to make um, being a, a female in the military has its uh, unique challenges, just as being a female in um, a, a corporation, right, or or on the C-suite staff, right, um, and executive levels. Um, and and the experiences that I've had, I think, uh, offer a lot of value to those same women, and so. My my focus now, especially with my company, is, you know, how do I help improve that 
in other in other places, not just in the military. I mean, I do training um, at our unit levels and, and things like that to to improve it where I can. But it's about having that bigger impact. Where can I make that bigger impact? That's kind of what's been driving me recently. And then what do you feel like makes you or what do you feel like has made you a success in your own eyes? Um, I guess probably two, two key aspects of me. You know, one is I, I tend to prefer to be proactive. Um, so I, I like to make a plan, lean in, um, and then adjust course from there. Right. And, and see where things go. And so by doing that, I feel like I can get ahead of a lot of, a lot of issues, a lot of problems. Um, the other, the other aspect for me is my ability to kind of dissect a problem and figure out the nuances uh, that are at play and, and put it back together in a way that makes it work, work better. Um, and, and typically where I've done that is, is a lot of relationship building. Um, so with going into a place where maybe there were strong personalities or strong opinions about a particular thing, and I'm able to dissect it down, um, kind of remove some of the emotion, not negate the emotion because emotion is, is important, but um, remove some of the emotion around it to help people like find a path forward. And, and so when they're at a stalemate, uh, helping them find, you know, shared, shared value, shared equity um, so that we can move forward. So those are the two things that I think have really made me the most successful um, in my career. That's awesome. So, and then you're able to bring that into like what you're doing is you're taking what you're doing in the military successfully and wanting to take it to outside of the military, to the civilian, to, to us civilians. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I've got a lot of, I mean, I've got a lot of friends who are civilians and you know, I talk about the problems that they see and the problems they've had. Um, I was lucky enough to do uh, an exchange tour where I got to work for uh, a civilian corporation for a year which was which was also really interesting to see kind of how they did stuff compared to how the federal government does stuff. Um, and I found it wasn't necessarily as different as people think. Um, it's because I was with a large, you know, obviously small business might be different, but I was with a really large corporation. So they're, they're fairly regulated as well. Um, but, uh, it, you know, the same kind of problems, the same kind of issues keep popping up. And so, you know, where I can share, you know, my experiences, my knowledge, you know, um, the feedback I've gotten throughout my 20 years career working on this um, inside the, the military. Uh, I think, you know, it's just useful. It's useful for other people. What are the most common problems that you face or that you like deal with that people like bring you in for? Um, so I, Biggest things are kind of gender, uh, gender inequity. Obviously, I'm a female in the military, very male-dominated profession. Uh, in addition to that, I'm in, you know, construction and engineering, which, you know, when you think construction stereotypes, you think of the guys sitting with their lunch on an I-beam, whistling, catcalling at the girl that's walking, you know, walking to the office, right? Um, and, and so um, very male-dominated communities. So there's, there's a... Um, an intention from the military side to to ensure that they're not falling into those stereotypes, right? They want to be better. They want to make sure that they're being inclusive. Um, so they've they've done a really good job with, I think, policies around sexual harassment, 
um, and equal opportunity. And those things are all wonderful. But where we really miss the mark is the culture. Um, I get a lot of feedback from females and minorities around hostile workplace. Um, and, and I think that that nuance is starting to become more prevalent in the conversation, which is good because you can't fix that culture unless you're willing to talk about it. Um, most of that stems from um, unconscious bias and microaggression. And, and those things are really, really hard to tackle because usually the people who are, you know, the aggressors in those situations, they're really nice people. They're wonderful people. Like they do not have any ill intent whatsoever. And so when you go to them and you try to have a conversation about, you know, how they're doing all of these mean things, it, it, you know, fear and, and, and panic and denial kind of springs up as a wall and they're not willing to even talk to you. Um, so my focus is I, I don't want to go talk to them about what they're doing wrong. I want to talk about what's wonderful about diversity and what's wonderful about doing it right and just kind of subconsciously bring them in, right? Because because if I go and attack them, wait, first off, it's not really warranted because they don't they don't realize that they're doing anything wrong. Second off, their self-defense is going to kick in and they're not going to be willing to have the conversation that are important to making the cultural changes. Um, and that's what I found has been the biggest issue is how do you, how do you get through um, to the people who mean well? You know, the, I think there's, there's laws, there's rules, there's regulations for the people who don't mean well, and that takes care of them. Um, but for the people who mean well, it's, it's the conversation. It's, it's so, it's so tough. I mean, I'm, as a coach, I, I talk to a lot of people about things like this and I'll have, you know, I'll have a client that I recently coached somebody who said, I just, you know, I'm so sick of like all the diversity, racism, right? They, 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 they just kind of exploded on a call with me. And I, and I paused because I know who, like, I feel like I know who they are as their coach. And, and I went, Hey, you, I know that you care about people, right? I know that you actually think all people should be like treated fairly and you want everyone to have an opportunity. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And so then I kind of paused and I was like, but some people don't have the same opportunity and i know you want that so but then you don't want he's like well yeah they should figure it out for themselves and and i thought that was like really right he like the disconnect right yeah. like it was um it's like everyone should get to do this is a thing i hear often people should get to do whatever they want but they should know what the right things to do are right, right. yeah and, and if they do the wrong things then they'll get punished and it's like this kind of it's not so things are just not black and white right there's just so much nuance right. with and i love how you described it as like there's people that actually do want things to they they care about people uh like being taken care of or people having opportunities but they don't realize the the subcon the subconscious ways or let's say the subconscious ways that our society as a whole makes that more difficult yeah um, no exactly um and so, it, well go ahead I was just going to say, you know, one of the, one of the, in addition to my own personal experiences that kind of drove me down this path, um, it, the other observation that I had, we were actually, we were stationed in the Middle East um, and I gave my kids a haircut to just, just buzz them, all four of them, buzz, buzz them all. So um, I have four blonde, blue-eyed children 
and I bugged all of their heads. And when they were walking, they walked, they ended up walking like in a row. And the image that sprang to my mind was like Hitler Nazis. Um, right. Because like there were these little Aryan children like walking around and I was like, all they need to do is put their hand up and say, Heil, like, and I'm going to be in so much trouble because here I am in this Middle Eastern country. Um, I told my husband I can never shave their heads again. Like I was, I, I felt it so profoundly. I was so worried that somebody would judge them because I happened to give them a haircut. Right. Um, and when I looked at it and I, and I kind of dug into that, I realized like part of it is you know, you listen to the dialogue around, around race and it's, you know, the evil white male. Like we, we went from one stereotype to another and, and, and I don't think stereotypes is the way to approach, you know, these situations, right? Because all that does is focus on extremes um, and, and you can't fix culture. You can't fix microaggressions when you're only focused on the peripherals. Like you have to be kind of in the middle, in the muddy, murky area you know, playing with it, being vulnerable, like you've said, being honest and hopefully approaching it from a place of, of curiosity. Because I think if you can stem people's curiosity about like learning about something new without making them afraid that the change is going to have an adverse effect on them, um, that's where you can really find the breakthroughs. Yeah. I mean, you said it really well earlier. We have this fear that if if like as a white male, that if other people get more, then I'm going to get less, right? Or if other people get attention paid to them, then I'm not. But that's actually right. not true. It, there's two things. One, it's not true is that I've like white males have had of have, have always had the attention paid to paid to them. But it's not a it's not like there's only so much to go around. I think that's the part that people get rid of that, like the white the the people that are afraid, the white males that are afraid or their partners or, you know, the people that are coming to their defense is that is, is if that there's only so much to go around. Like if we feed the people that are hungry, the people that have food won't be fed. When it's actually not true, there's plenty of food for everyone. We just, if we don't focus on getting it to the people that don't have it, then they won't be fed. And I think right. that's so right. People just, because we live in a world that's built on not enough yeah that we internalize that well like well if you're focusing on that group then you're not focusing on me and that's actually not that's actually not true um but that's a really hard concept to get people to see that it's kind of like the way i try to explain it is if if the groups are like in terms of privilege not in terms of right like one group's higher in terms of privilege and the other one's lower by raising the other group up, it actually raises both. Like the whole society becomes better, right? The rising tide raises all boats. And so how do we rise that tide for the boats that are like, haven't gotten the attention or haven't gotten the support they need? Because then it ultimately just brings up our whole society or our whole world. Yeah, no, exactly. Trying to get people kind of out of that scarcity mindset is, um, it's difficult because they just, they don't recognize it in themselves. Um, and, and again, like the minute you try to, to tell someone that they're, maybe they have this negative thing about them, that self-defense barrier just comes up um, because, you know, we're trained, don't be, don't be vulnerable, right? You know, whether, whether you're a strong, you know, alpha male or, um, or, or you're an assertive female, it's like, don't be vulnerable, right? Like, you know, be, 
be, be top, be, be everything. And so, you know, you're left not being able to kind of work through some of those things. And, and where I've noticed it, you know, in, in my life as a, as a female is the, my male peers who have complete and utter respect for me, right? Like we're great partners. We work really well together, but they will, they will almost freeze like a deer in the headlight, right? When they're in the environment where those microaggressions are, are coming through. And, and they just, they don't know what to do, right? They just kind of like look at me and they look around and they look at me again. They're like waiting for a cue of like, well, what should I do? Um, but there's fear of, of engaging because it, there's so many of those stereotypes that are around and they don't want to get stuck into one of those, right? They don't want to get pulled into that descriptor. And so they're, they're hesitant instead of courageous in those moments. And so the goal is, okay, how can I help give them enough information so they feel more courageous in that moment? And it doesn't have to be um, a direct conflict with whoever is making, you know, the, the crazy statement, but it, it at least would empower them to engage in that conversation in a way that'll help counter the microaggression that had just occur occurred. Um, so like one example I like to use is I was in a, I was in a meeting, I was a senior, um, senior director, uh, owned, owned my whole program for the entire unit. And I had, uh, a male, uh, enlisted counterpart who was, you know, my partner, right? So we're like, um, you know, C CEO and, and, and vice, right? President and vice president kind of thing. Um, and we're, we're in one of our updates with our boss and, he goes around the table. I'm the only female in, in the, the meeting. And he goes around the table. And when I give my update for my program, he turns to my, my vice president to get confirmation for my update. But he didn't do it to anybody else in the room, right? Yeah. Just me. And, and I actually, I went and talked to him afterwards. I was like, hey, you know, in the meeting, like you... You did this and, and it was, it was pretty insulting. Like, could you don't do that, please? Like, um, I mean, if you do want to question me, at least like pull me aside or tell me what I'm doing wrong. Don't in the middle of this meeting, call me out like that. And he looked at me and he was completely dumbfounded. I was like, I didn't do that. I was like, yeah, yeah. There was a whole room full of people. Are you, do I need to go get some witnesses? Like you totally did that. Like, I'm not saying you meant anything by it. He's like, no, no, no. I didn't do that. If you knew me, you'd know. No, exactly. Right. The defenses came right up. All I, I wasn't trying to accuse him. I wasn't trying to, um, you know, file a formal complaint against him. I was just trying to have that, that dialogue. Hey man, you did this and that was kind of dumb. Don't do it again. Um, and he was completely unreceptive and it blew my mind because here was a guy who was very much like, yeah, we need to, we need to be inclusive. We need to have diversity. Like we need to make sure we're, we're, we're doing all the right things. And he, he would not accept the feedback. And I was like, wait, I don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, it's really challenging, right? We are, our egos are built to protect us. And I think that's the fundamental, like that's the challenge of what we play in, right? Where egos are built to protect us and feedback's really hard to receive, even if it's meant to support us. Um, I think people, I think so many of us, don't realize how often our, our egos are protecting us from feedback that would make us better. 
Yeah. You know, and not always, right? It's like, where are you getting your feedback? Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing this. I want to transition. What is the problem or the challenge or the thing that you want to take a look at here? Um, I think the biggest challenge, you know, I have in, um, in what I'm trying to do is it's essentially a little bit of that imposter syndrome, right? Um, and, and for me in particular, it, I am, I, I don't feel that I'm diverse enough to talk about some of these things that I want to talk about, right? I feel like, although I have these experiences, they're not as, they're not as important as the experiences that, that other people have had, you know, who are you know, more diverse than I am, right? You know, when I look at my background and I look at, you know, my education, my upbringing, um, I, I feel like, okay, maybe, you know, am I really qualified to talk about these things? And so that's the, that's that piece that I think I really struggle with um, because I want to do the right thing and I want, you know, people to be receptive to the information, but I fear being called like, you know, a phony or being called like an imposter or, or, or you know, the, the white privilege stuff comes up a lot. Right. And, and so I'm not the white savior complex. Right. And so that's, that's a big fear of mine. Like, I don't, it's not about like a white savior complex. It's just like, I just want a world where my kids can grow up and, you know, be contributing members of society, um, preferably, <laughs> um, and, and, and be valued for what they contribute. Right. Um, and, and not have any of the other, um, tags. Uh, or, or weight uh, on them, barriers on them, but I want the same for everybody else's kids too, right? Like I, I want, I want that growth in our society. I want that growth as a culture um, and a dynamic. Um, and I think right now we're we're really far away from that. Um, and so I'm hoping that I can I can take the steps towards contributing, but it's such a, a politicized thing. In at least in American society, um, that I'm definitely like I'm fearful that like I'm not diverse enough to be able to spark that conversation. Um, so that's I think that's the biggest thing I struggle with. Ooh. So thanks for yeah bringing something really important and something really like that really matters to you and your family. Um, the thing the first thing I I just want to say is is when you're hearing it from the outside, right? It's like so then the people that, so only the people that are, that come from the diverse groups are the ones that in, in this mind, in the way that you have it, right? The ones that are the ones that are, are, uh, those are the right people to be doing the work that you're doing. Right. I, I, yeah. I, like it probably, it does. It sounds that way. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, I was actually at, at an event um last may speaking um and this wonderful african-american lady she's amazing and she stood up and gave a speech about how uh you know black women and white women are the ones who could solve this problem <laughs> could solve the right problem um but but you needed like the white women to step up and and be doing it and i was like oh okay so i can do this right like so it's good like it's good that i'm here. yeah <laughs> that was a little yeah it was a little confirmation um and but you're right like it do you put all the onus on um you know people who are from a more diverse background or is 
is the responsibility on what people consider the majority, right? Mm-hmm. Should the majority be the one addressing it? And and I think there's there's fear of that antagonist, right? When you do try to go and do the right thing, who's that person that's going to come out and and criticize you? And again, ego, right? We're all we're all afraid of criticism, um, and and especially when it's not productive criticism, the trolls, right? Like I don't I don't want a bunch of trolls, like. That's not good for my my you know emotional state or my mindset. Um, and and yeah, it, well, yeah. So we might say that groups that have um, been oppressed or not given the same opportunities have lived their history with trolls. The trolls were just the majority. Yeah. The the group, the majority, right? Yeah. Is it more important for you to avoid the trolls and the criticism and the fear or to make the change or have the impact that you want to make? For me, it's more important to make the change and have the impact. Um, You know, I know it's, I, I don't think anybody is comfortable really being uncomfortable, but I have noticed in my career, like I'll step into that space. Right. Like I'll watch other people avoid it like the plague and I'll look around and be like, well, if nobody's going to do it, fine, I'll do it. Right. And I'll step into that space. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Um, and, and I am doing. But, you know, there's, 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 that fear is always going to be there. And it just, it's having the courage um, for myself to just push past that. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of a constant give and take. So where is it right now holding you back? Like the, this, um, imposter syndrome, like I'm not the right person for the job, possibly where is it actually getting in your way? Oh gosh. Okay. So, um, I'm writing a book. I have a publishing deal to write a book. Um, I have done the outline of the book. I've, I've roughed out probably about six or seven of the primary chapters, um, and I'm now at a position where when I go to look, cause I'm, I'm supposed to like go take kind of one of those rough chapters and make a full chapter and every time I think about the book I'm like I'm not smart enough I don't have enough information I'm I can't do this but like it's 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 not going to be received well nobody's going to like it it's not good enough um I actually I got an email from my publisher like two weeks ago that I have not responded to yet because I'm so embarrassed that I'm so held back in being able to like push forward through this and you know I all the excuses in my mind. Oh, you know, well, right now my day job's been really busy. We keep we keep having all of these crises at work and some working long hours. And then, you know, and then the kids, when I get home, I've got the kids and it's so busy. And um and and you know, commute, commute takes a long time. Um and the reality is, you know, I come home, you make some dinner or or not. I may just tell the kids to make dinner. Luckily, I have some older kids so they can do that sometimes when I'm just not not feeling it. And I just kind of like sit and and go into that kind of numb, that numb space of my brain is exhausted. My emotional state is exhausted. And, and just even thinking about going down that, that path, which to me is kind of a creative path. um, It becomes overwhelming. Uh, And so I I really do at least need to email her and tell her, I'm like, I'm very, very sorry. I have not made much progress. Luckily, they don't, they don't have me on a timeline, but I'm going to have to make my own timeline because otherwise I'm, I'm going to continue probably stewing and churning. But yeah, that's, 
it's holding me. It's very much holding me back there. So it's really reasonable. You have four kids. You have a full-time job. You have a partner. It's really reasonable. And I think people that are listening to this can, if they're willing, could also identify with there's a thing they want to do, write a book for you. Other people have other things. Maybe it's travel, start a business. Maybe it's write a book, right? And maybe it's get in shape, right? Something as simple as like, I want to be healthier. Um, and then they have all the good reasons and circumstances. I don't have time. I have four kids. Dinner's got to get made, right? Like all the things, whatever the things are that show up. And what I like to often pose to people is the difference between the people we admire and the people that most of us are is one group is unreasonable and one group is reasonable. The unreasonable group is unreasonable about where they spend their time is unreasonable. Like they're doing, they come home from work and it's unreasonable to go, you know what? I'm gonna let my kids cook dinner and I'm going to go work on my book or it's unreasonable to create a timeline, right? Like I'm going to have that chapter written by the end of the month without knowing how. Yeah. So what would unreasonable look like for you? If you were to say, Hey, I'm going to, I want to write this book. This is going to matter. This makes a difference in my life, my children's life, right? Like my why is bigger than dinner that needs to be made that night. I'm going to bring an unreasonable approach to this goal that I have. What would an unreasonable approach look like for you? I, Right now, I think that the most unreasonable would be for me to set aside like a relatively large chunk of time, say three, three hours, four hours um, on, on the weekend, probably, probably on a Sunday um, and just go and isolate myself to, to give myself the time to get kind of into the right mental, you know, the mental space, right? The right emotional space to then just start writing, right? And I don't have to finish you know, anything in that period, but I can just start the flow. And that's something my publisher keeps telling me, like, just write, like, don't, don't worry about, you know, format. Don't worry about what it looks like. We'll work that later. Just write, just let your, let your, um, information flow. Um, but doing that, given how much, you know, right now I still work because I'm, I'm still in the military. You know, I have, I have all of this like mom guilt about not like spending time with my children. Right. But in all honesty, when I'm spending spending time with my children, I'm usually just yelling at them about the chores they haven't done. So it's really not productive anyway. <laughs> it's not like it's quality time. It's not like we're playing board games or, you know, hanging out. It's, it's you know, them playing video games or me yelling at them about their chores uh, to try to get them to do chores before they play video games. <laughs> um, it, let me ask you, is it, I think sometimes when, when we, um, try to go from one like paradigm to another we like kick the pendulum the whole other way we see this like with diets people will be like not eating they're like i need to get healthier i'm gonna like and they like go from like eating whatever they want to like they make some crazy like you know they're gonna go hardcore the other way and what usually happens is they fail right because it's such a just dramatic and not always right if they have the right support the right accountability if they have a really strong commitment it's possible but often we just swing to the other side and it's so dramatic, it's not going to work. Is you saying, hey, I'm going to take a Sunday for three to four hours, like this bulk amount of time on one shot a week 
that kind of swing to the other side? It might be. I I mean, I, I can definitely see that point. Um, I think my my worry is like if I try to do like just an hour in the in the the evening, right, or or an hour a day, that um, I'm not really going to get anywhere. So maybe that's the more unreasonable but reasonable path to take. Is like just even if I just write for five minutes, if I spend 55 minutes trying to get into the right headspace and I only have five minutes to write, just write for those five minutes and then and then walk away to the next thing, um, and be be okay with that. Um, I think the the super type A in me is like, no, 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 but I've got to like do more. I've got to finish. I've got to keep, keep going. Um, though I think if I got to that point and I was, I, you know, got the writing flowing, I probably would write for a little bit longer, right? I might end up having spent, you know, two hours uh, because, you know, got into the headspace, then I started writing. Now I'm excited because that's one of the things that I, like when you do something you really care about, Right. And, and for me, that's that's making that impact and wanting to share those stories and wanting wanting to help the people who are going to come behind me have a different environment than the one I came up through. Right. That's what I that's what really drove me in that is, is how did I protect the females that were junior to me? How did I make sure that their environment was safe and conducive to their contribution? Um, and so when I actually get into that mental space it's really energizing so you know I go from being kind of like oh I'm dead the work was really long kids are complaining uh to like oh I'm excited like I'm let's go like I get really energized because I'm doing a passion project right I'm doing something that that really gets me excited um but then there's that like that fear of oh what I don't know if I'm going to get into that state today I don't know if I'm I'm going to make it today you know it's so funny to hear that from you because I would say in the military, you don't get to choose whether you want to show up. You got, you have to show up. I think uh, learning to generate even when I don't want to is one of the like, greatest skills I've ever cultivated. And I don't mean it's all generating something different, right? Generating romance when I know that would support my relationship, generating joy when I know that would support a situation I'm in, generating discipline. But like knowing that, hey, I don't always have to feel like it. there's a bigger commitment at times. I yeah. would assert that people in the military have already been trained in that. They just don't fully, they, they might not always realize it. And they might not always realize that they could turn it into other things. Like, you know, whatever you've been in the military, you might have been trained to like be able to follow, generate following orders, even if you don't feel like it or doing some sort of discipline but that you could take that same thing and turn that focus and hone it into another area. Um, the place that has me the most curious is like, what about this time? Like, what about this unobstructed time early in the morning when the kids are asleep, where you could sit and say, it's only an hour. Hey, I'm going to sit and write for an hour. And you just shared with me, I'd get excited, which would then roll into my day. Room. Very good point. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, that's a very fair point. Like, I don't know, I don't know how to counter that. <laughs> well, what? That's great. Like, so don't. Yeah, what comes up, right? Like, I notice there's like a little discomfort. There's kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't have a good reason, 
right? You're like looking for the reason. It's so funny. We look for reasons why we can't do things or why things will stop us instead of looking for reasons why like we can. It's yeah. like an odd thing that we do as humans. <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny because, you know, I've been feeling, um, I had been dealing recently with some sleep, uh, sleep issues, some insomnia, and I've never had insomnia in my life. I don't have sleep apnea. I don't have any of those things. I like, I can sleep like a rock almost anywhere, which has come in really useful in the military. But <laughs> um, the, I had some some nerve issues in my neck, and so I was getting pains in my arm. It was causing me to wake up multiple times a night. Um, finally got kind of that issue resolved, but then I was still waking up. And so um, recently went to a, a doctor who's been helping me try to, like, organize that Um but what that lended to was I was I was always exhausted. I was really, really tired. I was just not getting good sleep. And so the idea of waking up early, whether it's to work out or to to do something on my book, like I could not even fathom it. And now my husband, my husband's like, just get up early. Just do this. And I'm like, you don't understand how exhausted I am. Like the thought of telling myself I have to get up early, like I I have a huge barrier around that right now. Um and luckily I went, I went on a, uh, my own retreat kind of this, just a couple of weeks ago, the beginning, the beginning of last month. And we had a really great conversation. So we were up till, you know, two in the morning, every night, like chitter chattering away, like, you know, some, I think a couple of nights it was three in the morning. And then of course we're getting up at seven to eat breakfast to, to start the day all over again. But it was really exciting. It was really engaging. It was all kind of, you know, passion, passion stuff. And so I think that actually helped kind of reset some of my, my sleep issues because that was what the, the doc had told me was essentially stay up later and, and keep waking up early so that, you know, you're, you're a smaller chunk of time and then we'll work our way back to the larger, to the larger chunk of time um for your sleep because that'll kind of retrain your body like basically your body got trained to wake up because your arm was bugging you and we got to retrain it to not wake up and I was like okay well that makes sense um so I've only recently been been going through that and so now when you say it I'm like oh well I don't have that excuse anymore like what's what's my next excuse oh it's it's the only time of day to work out but I'm not a big workout like you tell me to go work on a farm and toil some some soil or take care of animals like or you know, put sod in a yard, like I'll go do that. Like I, I'll go do physical stuff, but just like lifting weights in the gym, it's really not, um, really not my jam. It's not a thing that I enjoy doing. Um, but it's probably something I need to do. Like you said, you know, people make all the excuses in the world, right? We're so busy. We're this, we're that. Um, and, and getting healthy can be one of those things. Um, but, uh, it, it tends to make me even more tired. Uh, so I, I don't have the, the reaction that most people have where they get kind of energized after they work out. Like, if my husband works out at night, he's staying up till like, you know, midnight to 2 a.m. because he this, can't go to sleep. Like he's dad, right? Is, the minute I work out, I'm taking a nap. This is so <laughs> great because I want to point out for to you, but also to those people listening. Notice how we went from writing in the morning to talking about working out, right? And it's, I'm sitting over here like, oh, this is totally normal, right? We post something that could totally make a difference for you. We don't, we don't know that it will. We don't know that you waking up and trying to write for an hour is going to be the thing. We know that you haven't tried it. We know that there's some right. resistance. But what really has me like excited about it is not only is there resistance, 
but your your brain like couldn't actually come up with a real reason not to. So it completely took the topic and slowly deviated us away. And now we're talking about exercise when exercise had nothing to do with this, which over here makes me go, oh, we got something good because you're like <laughs> running away from it. No, don't talk about waking up early. <laughs> yeah. And look, I think it's important to say it's not about getting up early. It's not the like, if, if you do research on great writers, you'll find that there's writers that wake up early and write. And they do the, like, like Stephen King, I think, has the model where it's like an hour a day or a certain amount of words, but it's like every single day. And I think he has like a block of time that he does it in. Same every day, yeah. no matter what. There's other great writers I've read about that do like really late at night. And a lot of them created it because of the things in their life, right? Their family, their kids, they couldn't do the middle of the day or the afternoon because again, they were committed to being dads or moms or, or whatever. And so they were like, when can we create a space to honor our commitment that also honors the other things in our lives? Um, so if you think, I don't want to take it away from you because I don't think that's my job to say, hey, three or four hours on a Sunday isn't going to work. My, as, as on this side as a coach, my hunch goes, man, if one thing goes wrong, you lost that whole time in your whole week's job. Whereas if we said, hey, I'm going to write for an hour a day, you know, five or six days a week, whatever, maybe it's seven days a week, whatever you say, and one or two days, something happens and you can't, but you still write three or four other days. There's a win there. Still making progress. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's inverse of like the, it's just from going from like a, like a carnivore diet to a vegan overnight being like, Hey, what if I just like only ate one meal a day with meat or something? Right. Like it's a little, it's, it's still unreasonable for you to be getting up and writing every day based on where, where you've been, but it's not, it's not like you're setting your, I would say it's not like you're setting yourself up to completely fail. Whereas one day a week could, could be. Yeah. Well, and I think even, you know, with, with working on the, the sleep stuff right now, you know, he was like, whatever you do, you know, if, if five is your wake up, right. Cause I was like, well, I do calls or I'm, I'm doing some, some business stuff. So I got to get up at five. It's like, okay, get up at five every day. Like don't hit the snooze. Don't, you know, don't reset the alarm. Just get up at five every day regardless of how you feel, how tired, how energized, whatever. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things like now my excuse is, well, the doctor told me I have to get up at five. So, okay, like, might as well write, you know, like, like yeah. it, it's, it's, it's that external factor that's also like helping to influence that external constraint that's like, no, 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 you have to get this done. No, 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 you have to do this. I love that he's talking about it too. I mean, I think it's a he, right? The doctor, I think that's. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a he as a it's a thing you have to train your body in i know i used to be, i used to open restaurants and bars for a living so i spent lots of late nights and early mornings were never my thing and when i started to change my life and shift out of that world and into the world i'm in now i realized man nothing really good a lot of fun not good things happen after 10 p.m but nothing really like productive for my life is happening after 10 p.m and i went i need if i could get up early i wonder how much i could do in service of my goals and the life I wanted. And so I, I trained myself what I did, which I offer this to you and anyone listening is I started putting the alarm clock on the other side of the room. 
because it was too easy to just snooze it or turn it off or make it a quick, right? You're not in your most powerful state of mind when that thing goes off. Right. You're half not there. So it's really easy to be like, oh, I need more sleep without giving it any conscious thought. So put it on the other side of the room. And then I had a partner at the time who did not wake up early and didn't want to wake up early. So I would shoot out of that bed so quickly because I didn't want it to keep going off and disturb her, which actually was really helpful. It gave another level of motivation. What I suggest for people that that's not enough is put another alarm, put a second alarm, like a little bit further away in the bedroom or outside of the bedroom. Again, that goes off like a minute or two later. So if you do jump up and turn that one off and get back in bed, it's forcing you to jump up again. You're probably not going to you know, and, and look, you can keep adding alarms, but how do you, it's kind of, how do I add an unreasonable layer? It's unreasonable to have like two alarms across the room at 5am or whatever to start cultivating a new habit. And ultimately if you're waking up at five, you're probably going to have to go to bed earlier because you're going to be really tired. Um, do you want to take that on as a as as kind of something you're going to commit to? Yeah, no, I think that I think that's good. Um, and you know, for the most part, you might not usually get up early too. So that you know, it, it does that doesn't have to be the detractor. Like, oh, well, he, he he's sleeping, and I don't want to disturb him. Right? Um, I can I can get rid of that um, as as a non motivating factor. <laughs> Or maybe he can push uh, you out of bed or drag you out of bed. You guys can get out of bed together. Yeah, that's and that's probably the the better thing. Like, hey, I need I you have to go to go to sleep early because I need your help making sure I get up in the morning. You know, you want me to do this thing. You're telling me you're helping energize me. Here's where I need your help. Like, focus in here. Um, though, uh, though sometimes that backfires on me. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, you know, that yeah, you know, the the stubbornness kicks in. Like, what you're telling me to do something? Fine, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um. But no, I, I no, I think that's good. I think, um, you know, setting it up where I wake up, I, I have that time where I wake up every day and whether I write that morning or I, or I have a phone call or, or, you know, I'm doing some business. I think if I put the intention behind, well, let's try to just write a little bit every morning. Um, I think that's definitely something I'm willing to take on. So just notice, right? It went from, well, a phone call to writing, right? Like all these, there's are, there's already like a Too slippery many things. slope here, right? When you were talking about writing this book and writing, getting, writing, becoming, writing. getting pages to your publisher because this really matters to you. Yeah. So it might be like, no, I write and write for like, I could be, you can set a, what I, what I would suggest is setting like a, a bookend, like, hey, I write from this time to this time, or I have to write this many words which is another great thing, right? Like, hey, I have to write at least 1,500 words or 1,000 words, whatever, 500 words, it doesn't matter. But that you pick and that the words forces you to type something, even if it's not good. The time, yeah. I, I've read about an author once who sat, he, he says, I have to write for an hour. And he says, some days he just sits in front of his computer and stares at a white screen. He's got, he right. like can't figure it out. He goes, but if I don't let myself look at my phone or look at the TV or get any other distractions, he goes, it's, there's not going to be that many days where I'm staring at a white screen. My brain will produce something because sitting there is so miserable. Right? It's unreasonable yeah. to just sit in front right. of your computer with a white screen. It's way yeah. more reasonable to be like, 
oh, I don't have anything else to write today. I'll just write tomorrow. Yes. Yes. So what's the, what's the commitment that you want to take on? I don't know. It's a good question. Now I'm debating is number of words or time better. Now I'm not sure which one. <laughs> I would suggest just picking and then, you know, giving yourself like, hey, I'm going to try this for a certain amount of time. And then you get to revisit and check in. Right. Because I, I don't know what's going to work. Right. And even if you listen to all yeah. these great writers, they all have different things. There's not a way, but we don't, but we won't know any of the ways unless we try a way. Yeah. I think to start, because I think I usually am more successful if I give, if I give myself a reasonable, unreasonable goal, right? It, it usually helps me um, pass the mental barriers. So I'll say I'll get up at five every morning, grab a cup of coffee and sit down at the computer for 30 minutes to write with the intention of I'm going to write for these 30 minutes. That then makes sure that I still have some time left if I want to work out or if I need to make a phone call or those other things that I was, I was giving because I don't take all of the time in the morning, but I make sure that I've set aside that dedicated time and I do it that way. Beautiful. Is it seven days a week, five days a week? What's the. Um, I think I'll start with five days a week. Okay. Monday so, through Friday. Yep. Monday through Friday. Um, and then that way. I don't, I don't battle with the pressure of, oh, it's the weekend. I would love an opportunity to sleep in or no, I want to go for my beach walk. And oh, no, I can't. I have to write. Like, I don't want to make it an, an issue. If I start it on, you know, Monday through Friday, the days I have to be kind of working and productive anyway. Okay. I think, I think it'll grow from there, right? Like I said, because it is a passion project. It is something that energizes. Um, and so I think, you know, starting this and just kind of forcing it like you said putting that forcing function behind it yeah we just want clarity here right like we're so often as people to create goals like oh i'm gonna do 30 minutes a day at 5 a.m and then we don't say is it five days a week seven days a week right and then and then it gives us a slippery slope to get out of because we haven't really made a commitment so right. the other thing that i want to ask you how are you going to support yourself to stick to this commitment it'd be really easy tomorrow's friday for you to go, you know what? I'm going to start on Monday. Like how, and then on Monday to go, well, it was a rough weekend. I'm going to start on two, right? That's so easy. What, what are you going to put in place to like, to create accountability so that you can start tomorrow and be consistent next week. So right. To create some momentum for yourself. Yeah. I'm laughing because that's exactly what I do with working out by the way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You're not alone. Start the program this week. Oh, do it tomorrow. Oh, no, don't really need, I don't really need to do this program. I'll do a different program. Um, yeah. No, um, you know, I think, I, like, you, like you said, you know, alarm calendar. So if I put it on my calendar and the alarm goes off on my phone and I make sure that there's a reminder on my calendar, when I go to look at my phone to turn off the alarm, the first thing that's going to pop up is it's time to write. You know, it's, it's, this is your your 30 minutes of writing time starts now go grab your coffee and sit down um and so i, I think it's just it's putting it on the calendar um putting putting the reminders there because i i use my phone as my alarm so that when it does pop off it's it's 
on my phone. It's on my watch. It's telling me, hey, hey, it's, it's, it's that time. It's that kind of reminder. And then, um, you know, my, my husband's not here right now, but when he gets back from his trip, his business trip, it, you know, telling him, right, so that I have another person that I can be accountable to because then he can um, gently pulse and I'll have to coach him on how to gently pulse because I, I know I, I love my husband, but I also know sometimes how I react to his pulse. <laughs> so it's, it's making sure I get him to pulse in the right way that's going to yeah. be productive for this this endeavor. Yeah, it's a great point. We We don't know how to support our partners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and it's a really brilliant thing to tell your partner how you need support, right? If you wanted to take up a writing, pro- a, a new writing thing or a new diet or a new, you're going to go start applying for new jobs and your, and your partner's like, did you write today? Did you work out today? Did you write? Like, that's not, nobody wants. It's how do we telling them exactly like how to ask or how to remind is such a key to supporting the relationship and not having that be sabotage it, but also to support you. The other thing that you can do here is you could tell the publisher, I'm going to have pages for you by blank date, right? And then it's not your husband's job. It's like, and you could say, right? Like I need, I could use some accountability. Like, can you guys check in or right? So now it's like, you're probably not going to snap at them. Like you might snap at your husband. Right, right. And that was, that was actually something that I was already, because I already feel so guilty for not having yet responded to her email. <laughs> um, and it's been a couple of weeks now. Um, you know, my first excuse is, well, I'm on this retreat, so I can't respond to her right now. And now it's, oh, I didn't respond to her. You know, I, I, oh, I don't, have a, I don't have a plan, but now I have a plan. I can be like, hey, by, by the end of November, I'll have you, I'll have you that sector. Uh, or nice. at least as much of it as I'm able to produce, you know, doing my 30 minutes a day, five days a week. Um, and that's what I'm committing committing to to try to get get some progress and get the momentum back back on track. Um, and I'm a super great publisher, so they're well. You could much. ask them to stand for you, like, "Hey, I want." I I actually notice I'm like, you could actually say this, like, "Hey, I notice I'm I'm like finding reasons not to write." I'm I'm yeah. So can we create like some ma- milestones or some deadlines together that you'll hold me to I'm sure they I'm sure they want your book right right so it's it's mutually beneficial for you and for them to support each other and it's yeah I've noted you know like like I think most people um you know if you have that deadline um and and it's not just um it's not just you it, it's not just a deadline you gave yourself it's, it's a deadline you have so like even even with working out right I I have a requirement in the military to do height and weight standards as well as pass the physical test every year. Um, and so leading up to that, when I realized that's coming up and if I haven't been working out, I'm like, oh crap, okay, like now I have to. Now I can dedicate myself six days a week to an eight-week program, right? Because I, I have that, like, I know I have to be ready by this time. So that deadline comes up. But then the rest of the year, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't need to do it. It's a great point. We're not, we're also just not good as humans at long-term commitments. We're really terrible at them, but we are really good at like, Hey, for the next 60 days, the next 30 days, right? We're really good at, um, that thing that needs to happen when we have a clear timeline and a clear kind of like frame around it. 
Yeah. So, right. That's all we're saying is like, create that with your publisher. It's not the whole book, right? It's like one chapter, something that you can totally do. And I don't yeah. want to, no, I don't, like it. go ahead. What would you say? I just said, I like it. No, I, I, I like it. And I, I, I had thought, um, you know, I thought about giving them, uh, I, I go like to give myself that, that target, but I hadn't really thought about using their expertise, their experience. Yeah. And, um, you know, what, what are some kind of average reasonable like time that they set milestones that way? I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. And so I think that's, that's really great. I don't know if this would be helpful, but I'm looking at what some of the notes I wrote down. And, you know, one of the things you brought up was like the imposter syndrome. And I just like listening to my gut and like, would it excite you to actually just like put that on loudspeaker, not necessarily about to your publisher, but like this idea that you get that it's important as a white woman to be like leading this, right? Like you're not, you like the, the majority has to change is the, has to change for something to change or there has to be like a revolution. Right. And, and I don't think right. anybody, it, it can happen really powerfully if somebody like in your position of power and privilege is saying this isn't working. But if you're not, and, but if it's not on loudspeaker, right, it, you're disempowered. Right. Would it actually excite you to like, maybe that's a chapter or maybe there's something that you could really write about. Like, maybe it's the introduction even like why I'm like, why I know I'm the person, but also I'm terrified to be the person. How does that, what, what comes up for you when I say like, what if you put, took the thing that you're afraid of and actually just shined a big ass bright light on it? You gave me goosebumps or in Hawaii, they call it chicken skin. Um, I, no, I, I, I think that that's actually really good, you know, cause I was even in shaping the book, uh, originally I had written kind of the chapter that's like. You know, my, my story before you get into kind of the meat of the information and the tools and, and those types of things. When I first read it, I was like, oh, okay, this can be an introduction. And then as I was writing it, I was like, well, this, is, this is kind of longer than an introduction. Brianna, fix your, like really quick, oh, just fix sorry. your, yeah, we're getting muffled a little bit. Can you hear me? No, oh, no okay. you're good. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Is that bad? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, as I wrote kind of that, that, what I thought was like the intro that was kind of my story I realized like, well, this is more of like an actual chapter. Like this is a full chapter. This isn't just an intro. And so then I was struggling with, well, shoot, what's my intro going to be? And this is, that's actually kind of perfect because it, it's a great segue, I think, to lead people into, you know, hey, this is the purpose behind why am I writing this book? And I've even written down in my outline, you know, the intro is why am I writing this book? Right. And, and I, I went into kind of more of my story as opposed to why it's important that me a white woman is sharing misinformation like why is that important and and no that's great that is actually energizing um i'll work on that tomorrow and and you can email me and, and <laughs> like brana did you write this chapter I'm like I, yes actually yes i did nice i think like that i i want to really for for people listening when we think about our fear think about anything scary like use whole horror movies or scary movies. It's always dark, right? Yeah. If if all of a sudden in the middle of a horror movie, all the lights were really bright, 
all of a sudden we wouldn't be that scared anymore, right? We don't do Halloween in the middle of the day. It's not scary. Right. That we have this thing where we've decided culturally that that the night or darkness is scary. I'm not actually saying I think the night is like just as beautiful as the day. It's a different kind of beauty. But we've created this like lore and myth that and so if you think about how that pervades our subconscious, when we are afraid, what do we do? We like turn away from, we ignore, we avoid, we like kind of cast shadow and darkness over something. And when we shine a yeah. light on something, all of a sudden it often becomes way less scary. And it's like, oh, you know, it's, it, it, it becomes, we get to see it for what it really is. Yeah. And the more we often avoid something, it's like more and more shadow gets darker and darker and darker. If we just like put that light and go right, hey, I'm going to go right after that thing. All of a sudden, most of us, most of the time, find out the thing wasn't as scary as we thought it was. Um, is there anything else that you think there is to practice or take on around where you're feeling like not good enough or an imposter? Um. You know, I, I think some of it is, is just when I'm in that moment or when I get in that, in that feeling and that, you know, the anxiety starts to rise and, you know, your hands get sweaty and, you know, you're a little nervous about what you're stepping in. I think just taking the moment to reflect on all of the people that have come up to me um, because of the example that I've offered for them or that I've set for them or um, the comments they've heard me, me make. Um, that have had value to them, right? To remind myself, no, it's it's okay. Go ahead and step forward, right? Go ahead and step into into that emotion because because it's worth it. Like so, it's just it's taking a deep breath and just having that reflection, um, because that's that's part of what what has driven me, you know, even through my fear of you know not being diverse enough or, or imposter is all of the the comments and they're not it, it's not pointed right it's not like i held a training and people were talking about the training it's it's in the everyday i have people come up and uh and talk to me about hey this was so inspirational hey i really would love to be more like you um and you know i i kind of sit there and and i'm it makes me uncomfortable right because i'm like i'm not been special like i'm just a person i'm just doing stuff like everybody else is doing stuff um but I think to to honor their feeling, right, I, I have to step into that space because it's something that they found very valuable. And if they're finding it valuable, you know, why why wouldn't I want to give them more? Like I wanna I wanna keep contributing to that for them because it's not about me, it's about them and, and making sure that they can they can have um that same that same feeling and they can they can find those same um skills for themselves, right? You know, I can take even the things that I struggle with and, and hey, here's what I tried and this worked, this didn't work. And now they have a couple of things. Well, okay, well, let me try that. Maybe maybe what didn't work for her works for me and, and vice versa um, because it's really about making that impact. Um, and and I, I'm doing it already. So pausing to reflect so that I'm not afraid to keep doing it. Yeah, we do this weird thing that we like think we can't like where you're like deflected, like I'm not that special. I'm not special. I'm just doing my thing. But you are. 
And that's the same as like, so is ever like, so are other people. You being special yeah. doesn't make anyone else not special. Right. It's just focusing on the like difference you've made, the impact you've made. And I, I, I totally get this. I, when I could see when we, when I was standing at this men's retreat and the men were telling me who I was for them at this retreat, I started to cry and I could tell, I wanted to be like, but no, I'm not like, guys, I'm just like, I'm not doing anything special. I'm just like holding the space and challenging you and whatever. But what I noticed was just to receive it and not, we did this thing where you weren't allowed to say anything when you were receiving. So you just had to receive and you couldn't be like, no, thank you, whatever. And just being with it and letting it hit me really had me see who I am and the possibility of who I can be for men, yeah. which ultimately lets me be more of that and has me do less of the doubting because I can really hear it. The doubting, the imposter syndrome really wins because every time the good stuff comes in, we slap it away. Right. So if you're willing, there might be a practice around, hey, a daily, like a daily acknowledging of yourself, who you are and what you've done. So you can start to like have that muscle grow bigger than the imposter muscle. Yeah, no, I would, I would love that. I would say like that. Trying to do that is something like I'm I'm not good at. Like, right? I, I don't I don't know how to shape that, right? I don't know what that looks like, and sure. so it it often you know it's kind of like okay, well, I guess I just I won't do that, or that's weird, or you know, like yeah. Um, and so it's it's understanding. Okay, so what does that look like, right? What does that daily practice kind of look like? Uh, so I, let me let me just give you in sake of time because I know we and. I'll just give you a few like things and you can make them your own and you can recreate them. I like, I think the obvious is people make vision boards or like, I'm not a, what I do is I actually write who I am on a whiteboard that's in two places in my office and in my gym. So at two different, like multiple times throughout a day, I'm seeing like, I, um, I am good at succeeding at hard things. I am a warrior. I am inspiration and i follow it without take without knowing the next step right i have these like phrases like they're they're you could call them um affirmations but i made them up yeah but they all start with i am and they're all the thing they're not a lot of times people do the thing they don't want to be it's like i am not no it's like i am this it's the thing that i really know that i am or the thing that people have told you you are um that really like has you feel good that you that and so when I see them I I'll say them out loud I'll say them to myself when I'm working out I'm like staring at them a lot of the time. The other thing that I do is I'm very um, I think it's important to use our senses. So some yeah. people vision boards are great because the visual really works from it doesn't so much for me. Um, I'm more verbal auditory like listening talking and smell smell is huge for me. So I found this, um, this like sandalwood spray one day. And what I do is every morning I spray it on myself, almost like it's like a cologne. But when I spray it on myself, I close my eyes and I really like breathe it in. And then I say like a series of, of things to myself about who I am and who I'm going to show up as that day. And what I notice is it's those words connect with the smell. And then it has me like really embody it and feel it. So it's not just the thing that's in my brain. Now it's like the energy of it is, is like overwhelming my body. Um, 
when I walk into my office in the morning, I almost always light a candle and put on like some incense or burn some sage. There's no magic to this. It's again, it's like those things are cultivating the environment of who I want to be and how I want to show up. And I've, and I've, and I'll say some, as I light the like candle, it's a reminder that like, like I am light, you are light. We can create light in a moment, but if I don't light the candle, it doesn't get, I have to generate it. Right. Okay. The candle is like symbolic. Um, so I, I, I made all this up, right. This is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's people that I forget who it is. There's somebody, I don't know if it was Brendan Bouchard or someone that talks about like, Hey, every time they walk through a doorway, like a door frame, they have like one or two affirmations and they stop at the door frame. They say the affirmations and they walk through. So it's like creating these little like ways that like, and it's over time, right? This is not a over time, over repetition, because how long have you been thinking you've been an imposter for years, years and years and years? Yeah. So well, and I, I love that. I love that you use the smell for like, there'll be times I've got a little, um, I've got this cute little clay plate that I got when I was deployed in Okinawa, Japan. It's got the, uh, the shisha dogs that are like, you know, allow the good spirits in, you know, kick the, the bad spirits away. Um, and, and I, it came with a little essential oil. And there are some days where I'm like, when I'm just, I know like something is off and something is just negative energy, whatever, like I'll throw a couple of the drops on there and I'll just take a moment to, okay, breathe it, you know, breathe it in, right? And kind of do that reset. But I don't think I ever, I never really thought about like putting it all together and tying it all together um, in that way. And so I, I appreciate kind of that example because I think I've done a little bit separately and, and I'll be completely, you know, to be completely vulnerable and honest, I struggle so much with affirmation statements because they feel narcissistic to me. <laughs> and and it is, it's so hard for me to come up with them. Um, but I think, like, you gave me kind of a good indicator um, in your I am statement. So, you know, what have people told me? Um, and I think if I, if I focus on that instead of, um, focusing on like, I am going to, you know, work, work out every day, five days a week, like, which then just feels very, for me, it feels very self-centered. And then it's not that I'm not, I mean, I have my selfish moments, just like everybody. Right. Um, but like to proactively try to, to think that way, it's something I, that I really struggle with. And so even vision boards, mind boards, I've always struggled with how to, well, what statements do I use? Um, but you kind of pointing out like, well, what do people tell you? Like use that. And, and I think that might be something that's a lot easier for me to at least start with, right? Until I can get comfortable with that aspect of it. But, but I do love, I love the connection of smell. Audio has always been really big for me as well. Um, you know, I use, I use music. Music defines my emotions, right? Like, or I use my emotions to define what music I listen to. Maybe it's a better way to put it. So my kids know, don't bug mom when she's listening to her 90s alternative. She's been a really bad mix. <laughs> Well, that's, that's great. So then use, don't let your mood pick the music, pick the, let the music you want control the mood. Control the mood. Right. Yeah. So I try not to listen to music that makes me sad because I don't want to feel sad. Right. 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 You, right. So I pick music that actually like has me, helps me get into the mood I want to be in. I also want to give you one more thing before we wrap up this idea that like, I don't want to be self-centered or what, or I don't want to like, you know, kind of like be conceited or cocky or whatever I'm adding words here. I actually want you to be that because we need that. You're not doing it to hurt anyone. 
We actually need people in this world that are trying to make other people's lives better. And if those people aren't as passionate and as committed and as confident and as arrogant about their beliefs as the people that are actually doing harm, what chance do we stand? Yeah. Right? You're not being arrogant or, or like cocky about, you know, how pretty you are or like how much money you have things that really like, right. Like you're, you're doing it in service of making a difference. Yeah. That right? is like, true. It's like, we need warriors for that. We need goddesses for that. Like we need people that, that bring that level of like confidence and unabashed, um, like bravado for these important things. Um, and when somebody is like, you know, when somebody brings that to me, like, oh man, you're just like stuck up about whatever. It's like, great. You actually probably notice it because you're like really not living a happy life and you're struggling and you wish you felt as good about your life as I do about mine. Right? Like the, the, per, the people that, that feel that way about, let's just use me, are often the people that are not living great lives. The people that are living great lives don't have time to worry about me. They're, they're living their great lives. True. So, True. so I encourage you to, right, again, or not, not to become a, a, an arrogant, pompous jerk, but become like so unreasonably confident and proud of yourself for what you're doing because what you're doing really matters and we need you to be that way. Imagine this is when you're in the military, right? Imagine if America was like, we don't really want to seem like we're so great. So we're just like, we have the, like the most mediocre military in the world. How would you feel as a soldier going into battle being like, yeah, we're pretty mediocre. <laughs> right? Like you, you have to true, think. True. It doesn't actually matter if, if, if we all have the best stuff or are the best. The fact that we think we are actually makes a difference in how we show up. Yeah. And you can think about with sports, right? The team that's like, oh, I don't want to be the athletes, the, the Kobe Bryant's, the LeBron James, right? The, the Tom Brady's. So much of their success comes from, I'm the best. So then they show up as the best. And then when they're not the best, they have to get better. Whereas if they're like, oh, I just don't, I don't, I don't want to come off like that. I'm just going to, I'm pretty good. You know, then they're going to get run over by the person that's the best. Yeah. Now that's, I appreciate that. And that's, and that's true. And I think, you know, like you said earlier, you know, when you were at your retreat and, and you had that silence and you can't kind of deflect, right. The feedback. Um, I think I, I've spent a lot of time deflecting because, you know, I, as you know, I've, I've got a lot going on, right. I have this full-time career, this professional, uh, you know, license and, and professional qualifications. I've got four kids, which is a lot, you know, my husband was also military so balancing that was all crazy. And so people will come up to me and be like, you're a superwoman, you're a super. And I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm just a hot mess sometimes. So like, no, I can't be superwoman, but it's, I think you, 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 you're both right. Like I can be a hot mess, but I can also be superwoman. And, and, I have denied the the superwoman mess because I get uncomfortable getting that compliment. Um, and so, yeah, trying to not, not deny that. Don't deny that. Um, I have a best friend who's trying to figure out which, which superhero to like, she's like, you're not Wonder Woman because there's something she doesn't like about Wonder Woman. I don't know what it is, but 
she's like, but but I'm gonna find because you're one of them. You're one of these like superhero women. And I'm like, okay. You know, and I'm like, oh no, stop talking about that. It makes me really uncomfortable. But it's it's being like you said, being confident, being comfortable. Um and and I can do it, I can do it in my job. I should be able to do it in my personal life. Right. Just and and it's, yeah. it's doing that. Yeah. No, I love, no, I love it. I love that you brought in superheroes too, because if you look just like the two most kind of iconic Batman and Superman, their shadow side is like kind of pathetic, both of them. Yeah. Right? Like that, you know, like Superman's Clark Kent is like goofy and awkward and like uncomfortable. And it, and, but he has to be that. And he also has to be Superman. He can't be Superman all the time and he can't be Clark Kent all the time. It actually True. serves him, right? Like to be both. Yeah. To navigate the waters of both and know when to turn on which, right? So you know when to turn on to be humble and be a listener, right? I bet when you're with a diverse group of people and you need to hear how they feel, you don't want to be pompous and arrogant and a jerk about how you know everything. Right. But when you're like leading something, or you need to show up and give a talk or writing, we need your power. We need Superman to come out or whatever, right? Superwoman. So I love that you pose like, hey, they both serve a purpose. It's about when you're you're like in each one. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, is there anything else you want to say or share before we wrap this up? Um, no, I think it's like... I think this has been really great. I, you know, like coming away with a couple of practices that I can take and focus on to keep making that progress. Right. I, I think that's been awesome. And, um, and owning, uh, you know, owning those superpowers a little bit, I think, you know, having, um, like you said, it, it always helps kind of to have some of that validation, right. Because we do question ourselves and, and, especially if you're someone who strives to always improve and get better, like you, you probably question yourself more than most people. Um, and so it, it helps to have those conversations to work that through. So I really appreciate the time today. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for, it really takes something. I say this with everyone I talk to, but it really takes something. It's unreasonable to come on here, something that's going to be public and share about what you're challenged by. So I just thank you so much for your, your bravery and your courage. Because it's really vulnerable and that's how we know, right? Like vulner bravery and courage are built inside of vulnerability. There's no such thing without, with the, if the two don't, you need both. Um, sorry, or vulnerability creates the opportunity for courage and bravery. So thank you for being willing to do that. And thanks for bringing something that's so pervasive. You know, this wasn't like a, not a common thing. This is a thing that so many of us deal with imposter syndrome saying we want to do something and not being able to do it and letting the fear take over. Um, and I also just want to acknowledge you. Thanks for uh, doing work that makes a difference in a lot of people's lives. Like you're not just doing it for like your kids and wanting them to have a better world, but you're actually wanting to do it because you want the world to be better and you want people to have better experiences and better lives. So thanks for, thanks for, you know, sacrificing things on your end for the betterment of others. And thanks for being willing to be with the unreasonable things. So like you have to be unreasonable so all of us can have a better existence. Yeah, no, thank you. You're welcome. Is there a place that if people want to find you or reach out to you or find out about your book when it does come out, 
Um, where where do they like find you on? I think you gave me your link. Is LinkedIn the best place? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best place. Um, I've got uh, my my personal page under Brianna Jackson, and then um, I do have a, a page for the business as well um, for Sona. So uh, you can find me there for sure. Awesome. Uh, we'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you again, Brianna, for being with us. Um, thanks everyone for listening. If you know someone who should be on this show, if you want to be on this show, um, reach out to me, Alex at the dreammason.com. Uh, and we can chat about it. Thanks again, Brianna. And, uh, thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Playing With Problems. I'm so grateful to you and our guests who are willing to come on and talk about and share so vulnerably. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a review. And if you're a successful person who thinks you have a challenge or problem that you want to come on this show and talk about, or if you're a successful person and you feel like a more intimate, personal one-on-one conversation is more right for you, please reach out to Playing With Problems at thedreammason.com. Thank you for listening to Playing With Problems.